0: Well, good evening. Welcome to you as you uh, may join in either live or as you tune in later. And uh, it's a delight for me to be with you again for another part of our series on discovering Jesus in the feasts of the Lord. And tonight we're going to start part one of a two part lesson on probably my favorite of all the feasts. And I believe you'll see why. As we go through these two lessons and explore this feast, the Feast of first fruits. So I'm delighted to be with you again. Let's go ahead and begin with prayer and welcome to all who will join in throughout this. And I trust that this will be a, a tremendous blessing to you as we see Jesus revealed in the feasts of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I commit this time to you. Lord, I pray that your spirit will be evident in this study. Lord, I pray that your word will go forth in power and in might. Your truth will be known. Father, I pray that lives will be touched, disciples will be made, and the lost will come to know you. And God, I thank you for the opportunity to be a part of that. And so, Lord, I pray for this lesson tonight. I pray that you will open the eyes of our understanding, that you will share your heart with us, Lord. And that the word will go forth under your spirit's anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome to you as you join in. Hallelujah. So we're studying the feasts of the Lord. We have looked at um, these feasts being the Moedim or the special appointed times of the Lord. We've looked at the Sabbath representing our rest in the fulfilled and finished work of Jesus. We've talked about Passover And how that represents the sacrificial lamb, the sacrificed lamb whose blood brings us deliverance from sin. And that Passover lamb is Jesus Christ. The second feast that we looked at last week in the annual feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we saw how that represents Jesus, the sinless one who suffered for us. Tonight, as I mentioned, we will start part one of a two part lesson on the feast of first fruits. So I want us to turn and begin in Leviticus chapter three, <clears throat> excuse me, in Leviticus chapter three again, where the summary of the feasts are found. <clears throat> and it says in verse nine of Leviticus 23 And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it, and you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. You shall eat neither bread, nor parched grain, nor fresh grain, until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. All right, that's one place where we see the summary of the feast and we find out some information about it. Now, let's look at Leviticus chapter 2, verse 12, and just read this one verse there. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 12 says this, As for the offering of the first fruits. You shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. And lastly, we want to read one other place in Deuteronomy chapter 26, and we will read Deuteronomy 26, we'll read the first 11 verses. Verse 1 says this, and it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket, and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, or Jerusalem, and you shall go to the one who is priest in those days, and say to him... I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a Syrian about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number, and there he became a nation. Great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice, and looked on our afflictions, and our labor, and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and with an outstretched arm, with great terror, and with signs and wonders. He has brought us to this place, and has given us this land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. Alright, so these are the passages, the primary passages, where we learn about the feast of first fruits. There's a little more information in a few other passages in Leviticus 2:14. Welcome to you as you join in. In Numbers 18, 12 through 13, and in Deuteronomy 18, 3 through 5. You'll find more information than what we've covered. We just read Leviticus 23, 9 through 14, Leviticus 2:12, and Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 11, for those that are just joining in. And that's where we find the primary information that we're going to cover tonight on the Feast of Firstfruits. This is probably my favorite feast of all of the feasts of the Lord, and we'll cover as to why that is. So tonight we'll start part one of this lesson, and part two will be next week. Now let's look at the details of what we learned from these passages about the feast first, and then we're gonna compare that to Jesus and see the fulfillment in Christ. All right, so let me just cover some details about the feast. It's called biblically in, in this passage and in the passages that we were talking about, it's named the Feast of First Fruits. It's also called Yom HaBikarim, or the Feast of the Offering, that, that specific kind of offering. It's also known as the counting of the omer, which the omer would begin to be counted. We will talk a a little bit about that in this lesson and some incoming lessons. It speaks of the earliest harvest that takes place in Israel, which is the barley harvest. It talks about how the first ripe part of their harvest had to be reaped. This was the sheaf they had to cut and set aside a particular sheaf of their barley harvest, and that was given to the Lord and had to be offered to him. It was brought to the priest at the temple. The priest's duty then was to take that. It was put in a basket, brought in the basket, and then the priest was to take that and wave the sheaf before the Lord. And he was to wave it in four directions, north and south, and east and west. So he would wave it up and down and across. Now, to me, that looks mighty similar to the form of a cross, even in the offering that the priest had to do. Hallelujah. So this sheaf was then going to be accepted by God on the people's behalf. This act of the priest ended up blessing the whole of the rest of their harvest they could now enjoy all the rest of it. It required trust that God was going to grant them a bountiful harvest to come because they had they could not enjoy any of their harvest until they had reaped that sheaf and then taken it to Jerusalem and presented it in the temple unto the Lord. It was, in essence, a tithe of their, harv- of their harvest. So it required the first. This was their tithe of this. It also was an act of faith on their part, because they believed God to supply, and they anticipated the harvest that God was going to bring to them. With this sheaf, they also had to bring the offering of the male lamb of the first year or a young lamb, and they had to bring one without blemish. Every offering, every um, sacrificial offering to the Lord had to be without blemish. This was considered a burnt offering to the Lord, or an offering of the whole self-surrender. Notice they were not allowed to eat or enjoy any of their harvest of their barley until they had offered this first fruit to the Lord, and it was called an omer, or a sheaf offering of the Lord. Notice that they had to do it on its day, and the day for this was the day after the Sabbath. Now, the Jews debate that. Some say it was, it doesn't matter what day of the week it fell on. It was after the high Sabbath of unleavened bread, that first day that we talked about last week that was considered a high Sabbath, whatever day of the week it came on. Others, others debate it and say, no, it means after the weekly Sabbath in that week. So they say it's Sunday. I don't know for certain, the Sunday seems to fit the scripture, and we certainly will see that it fits the Lord. The process was for the nation, the priest would offer their sheaf, and they would have the Sanhedrinists go out and cut it and set it apart earlier. There was a place called the Ashes Valley, or the Valley of Ashes, and they would go and and cut it and set it apart, uh, determine what it was and bundle it up and set it apart. And then they would come on the morning of first fruits and cut it and bring it to the Lord. Notice also that each family had to observe this by taking some of the sheaf of their own harvest, their own barley that had grown in there, and they had to take it, um, take it to the priest. And this was called the sheaf of the first fruits. They would set it aside early in the spring because it was supposed to be the best of their harvest. When they offered things to God, it was always supposed to be the best. They put it in the basket and take it to the priest. Now, remember they were already in Jerusalem because of Passover and unleavened bread, and this occurs during that same week. This is the third feast. They generally get lumped together and just known as Passover, but they are actually three individual feasts. And so they were already there because it was a pilgrimage feast. So before they would make the journey, they had to bring their feast, they had their sheaf, they had to um, cut it and bring it with them in this basket. So they were bringing their tithe to God's storehouse, which is what Malachi 3 talks about. The first fruit was always the choicest, the foremost, the best and the preeminent of all the harvest that would follow. In the Feast of the Lord, the author says, it was representative of the barley harvest as a whole, and served, notice this, it served as a pledge or guarantee that the remainder of the harvest would be realized or come to pass in the days that followed people were forbidden to use any of their harvest in any way until after the first fruits had been offered to the Lord and if they neglected that command it was considered robbery of God which is exactly what Malachi 3 verse 8 says <clears throat> as we read in Deuteronomy 26 there were special words that they would utter when they brought this and then they'd set it down before the priest and worship Prostrate themselves before the Lord, and then they would rejoice before the Lord spontaneously with gladness and joy in recognition of God's goodness and thanking Him for the feast and for the harvest that He had brought and was bringing. It was a joyous feast. It was a celebration of God's goodness and anticipation of God's blessing on the rest of the harvest to come alfred Idersham writes about it in his book the temple and he says that once the person's deuteronomy 26 prayer was completed the priest would set the basket in front of the altar cast a handful of the barley in upon the fire then the people would process uh, prostrate excuse me prostrate themselves in worship and then return to the outer courts to rejoin their family and rejoice in god This was the same scene that would occur for hundreds of thousands of Jews during that day. Also, this feast served as a time marker. It marked the beginning of Israel's harvest cycles. It was the first of the three main harvests. They had the barley harvest, they had the wheat harvest, and then they had the harvest of the fruits and nuts and the other things in the fall. This marked the count-up to the next great feast. It was in anticipation of the next great harvest. All of the three pilgrimage feasts were built around the harvest cycles. And so this, they would begin to count an omer on the first fruits day, and then they would count for 50 days, and then came the next feast, which we call Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. It, um, it was an anticipation of the next great act of God that God was going to send. Each day in between, they would count the Omer for those 50 days. Now let's consider how does this apply to Jesus? To understand how Jesus fulfills this and more about the richness, first we have to understand the imagery of the sheaf. We need to go back in Scripture, and actually we'll go back to the very first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 37, we find the first occurrence of the word sheaf. And so this tells us what the sheaf represents in Scripture. So we will understand the imagery that God is saying. In Genesis 37, there's a Jew a son of Jacob that has had dreams. He's had two dreams. And so we're going to read about one of those. In verse 5 of Genesis 37, Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So here we see the imagery of the sheaf revealed. Joseph has had a prophetic dream, and in this dream, the sheaves represent people. The sheaves represented he and his brothers, and then later we see that he has the dream where the, even his father and his mother are included. So we see that the sheaves, the first time ever in Scripture, the sheaves' imagery is that they, they represent people. So now we need to connect the dots from the Old Testament to the New Testament. According to the Old Testament and this observance of the Feast of Firstfruits, they would send two Sanhedrinists, two of them, to the field to get the bundle that had been already set apart and consecrated as the sheaf of the first fruit. So when we look at it with Christ, we see two Sanhedrinists, Two clean people, two of the Jewish leadership, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And they take the consecrated, set-apart sheaf of Jesus Christ, his dead body. They take it and they bury it in a tomb. And he remains in that tomb, hidden away, until the day of First fruits, which was the third day day hallelujah then on the third day the day after the sabbath on this feast day on sunday morning jesus rose from the dead hallelujah and it was a miraculous resurrection he is the sheaf of the first fruits now how do we know that for sure does scripture guarantee that to us does scripture Uh, tell us that yes it does in first corinthians we're going to turn now to first corinthians chapter 15 and i want to read a few verses here and then we'll come back to this chapter a little bit later in the lesson but in first corinthians 15 verses 3 through 8 i want to start there paul is writing here and he says for i delivered to you first of all that which i also received." that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now remember what scriptures did Paul have? The only scriptures he had were the Old Testament writings. Genesis to Malachi, we call them, the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He rose on the feast of firstfruits, which was the third day. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep, or some have passed away and died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Then turn over to verse twelve. And let's read a few more passages. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. If the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So here we begin to see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the basis of our faith that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, then our faith is futile. That's what Paul is saying here. It forms the basis of our entire faith and this is why it's probably my favorite feast of all. Let's continue and let's see the parts of it that that touch and actually help us to understand the fulfillment on its day by the Lord Jesus Christ. And to do that we'll first start out in John chapter 20. And in John chapter 20 I want to read a few passage, a few verses here. First of all, let's read verse 1 of John chapter 20. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then skip down to verse 11. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, and said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and saw and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Hallelujah. All right. So here we see an account of the resurrection. So she's come to the tomb. And then she has this encounter. She doesn't realize it's Jesus at first. But notice this. In verse 17, Jesus said, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. And then he goes on and he tells her to go and tell them that he is ascending to the Father. We sometimes don't realize that this was Jesus' first ascension. He ascended that same day, and he ascended to God immediately after seeing Mary here. And he did it for one reason. He had to present the Omer to the Lord. It was firstfruits time. He had to go and lay it at the altar of God. He had to present the sheaf of himself. He is the sheaf of the first fruits. And remember that if he did not do this, it was considered robbery of God. This is why he had to ascend before Mary could fasten herself to him or touch him. She couldn't. She may have tried to leap forward to hug him or whatever it was, and she could not touch him because he had not yet ascended to God. He had not yet presented the sheaf to the Lord, to God in heaven. He had to do that first before anyone could partake of him, could touch him, could handle him. He was the sheaf of the first fruits. He was the cream of the crop. He was the first and best of the entire harvest. He's the priest also. He's called our great high priest in Hebrews. He's the priest and he's presenting the sheaf of himself so that now the blessing of God can flow to the rest of the harvest of sheaves, which are the rest of the people, because sheaves represent the people. The rest of the harvest of the sheaves and the grain is us, the church, you and me, the church. Hallelujah. And we'll see that more in next week's lesson, in in the two weeks when we take up the next lesson and look at the next feast. He's the burnt offering that was required with the sheaf. He willingly had already submitted himself, his whole being, when he died on the cross. And that's the burnt offering. It's that full and complete surrender. Remember, it had to be a male, and and it had to be of the first year or young, and it had to be without blemish. We've talked about that in the previous lessons, and we've seen how that Jesus fulfills the burnt offering. So he was also the burnt offering, and he did that on the cross. Also, remember in 1 Corinthians 15, we saw how Paul will testify he is the first fruits from the dead. He's the sheaf of the first fruit. Paul testifies of this for us. So his first ascension was immediately after he rose from the dead, and it was because he was presenting the sheaf of the first fruit, the one that had been consecrated and cut apart from all other sheaves and set aside to be offered to God. And remember the wave, the wave offering that the priest would have to do, they would go up and down and side to side, east to west and north and south. Hallelujah. I believe he may have even presented that in the shape of the cross. I believe the priests were doing that, maybe didn't know that that's what it was. Hallelujah. God in Christ was doing the action of restoring to favor people by not imputing our sins to us. The proof, the Omer Sheaf, the resurrection and the first ascension, the proof of that is that God accepted Christ's payment and his death and vindicated him. And now, God can bring freely reconciliation and favor to all who believe. We are like that acceptable sacrifice in Romans 12. In the Old Testament, they had to make sure the offerings were acceptable to God before they could bring them. But here, Paul is saying, because we are the righteousness of God in Christ, we are that holy and acceptable Sacrifice that can present ourselves a living sacrifice before God. When God accepted the Omer offering, He then would go and bless and give favor to the remaining harvest. Hallelujah. Now, let's cover one thing. How do we know that He did, in fact, ascend after His meeting with Mary? All right, we read in verse 17 how she could not touch him at all before he had ascended. He told her that. All right, so let's now look at verse 19 through 23 of that. It says this, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 24, let's read some passages there. Because these prove to us, these happened the same day. And they proved to us that Christ had ascended between the time he saw Mary and the time he appears to these that that we're reading about right now. In Luke chapter 24, verse 13, it says, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, I believe they were traveling back home because they had taken their basket of sheaf offering their first fruits to the Lord in the temple, and now they're headed back home. Remember, all the Jews had to bring their offering of their omer offering, their sheaf of the first fruits, to the Lord and present it there in the temple. And if they didn't, it was robbery of God. So these two are now traveling back to Emmaus, traveling back home after going and doing that, I believe. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. Verse 15, so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now notice Jesus' response here. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them. In all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He had a Bible study with them right then and there, right after he had risen from the dead and ascended to God. After that, and he comes back and he meets up with these two on the way to Emmaus. And he basically does a Bible study. And he starts with Moses, beginning in the Genesis, Exodus, in the Pentateuch. And he goes through the prophets, including the prophet. David, who was prophetic in some of the Psalms. Think about some of the things he may have done in Bible study with them. Wow, I would have loved to have been a fly on a wall hearing that, hallelujah. So he is proving to them that he is that Lamb of God. He is the one that was slain. He is the Messiah and the promised one to come. And he chides them for not knowing that. And the reason is because it's all in the Old Testament. Jesus is all through the Old Testament, and they should have known that. All right? So, he begins at Moses, and then he shows them himself all throughout the Old Testament. Let's pick up again, and let's read in verse 36 through 49. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. Now, The two from Emmaus have gone, and they meet up with the other disciples. And so now Jesus, because Jesus departed from them, they didn't recognize him until he broke the bread, and then he departed from them. So in verse 36, now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit. He said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. And then it says in verse 44, Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Then thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Hallelujah. So Jesus has a second Bible study with them on that same day, and he uses the same scriptures, Genesis through Malachi. He talks from them, and he shows them from Moses' writings, from the prophets' writings, and from the Psalms, that he is that prophes- prophesied Messiah. I, I imagine from Moses' writings, he talked to them about the feasts, and he said that why why do you why do you marvel? the The, the Son of God had to suffer because he was the Passover Lamb, and he had to be buried because he was the unleavened bread and he had to rise on the third day because he's the sheaf of the first fruits. Do you see how it connects? Maybe he included those three feasts in this Bible study and he showed them and opened their eyes that he was the Omer that they were offering on this day. In the prophets, perhaps he showed them Isaiah 53, and he went through Isaiah 53 and showed them that. In the Psalms, perhaps he took them to Psalm 22, which is called the crucifixion psalm. But he used the Old Testament for his Bible teachings to them because Jesus is in all of the Old Testament. So now we see after he had ascended, presented the omer to God, now they could handle him on that same day because the first fruit sheaf had already been offered. Now they could all have joyous enjoyment of the remaining harvest of the harvest of the barley sheaf. He could now enjoy the rest of the harvest. Hallelujah, just like people could then, once they had presented the Omer offering to the Lord, go and enjoy their harvest in at their home and with their families. So, hallelujah, we see Peter and all of them now being able to touch and handle the Lord, or in, in a sense, spiritually speaking, eat of the harvest and celebrate together. So Christ being the first fruits, he presented himself as that first fruit. This was also a time marker. It marked two specific things. It marked the beginning and anticipation in faith of the harvest that was yet to come. If you'll remember, Jesus told them they were to be fishers of men. So what he's talking here, remember the imagery from Genesis 37. The sheaf represents people. So that the, the harvest of souls is what Christ is talking about here. Then it was also the start of the count up to the next great feast, that feast of Pentecost or weeks. Hallelujah. And we'll discuss that later on. I'd like to end with a little more from First Corinthians chapter 15. And, and then we're wrapping this up and bringing it to a close. Welcome to you as you join in. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 through 23. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul was a Jew and he knew the feast. As a matter of fact, he knew the law backwards and forwards. He was being trained under Gamaliel, remember? So he knew and he understood the imagery here and he understood the connection between Jesus and this feast of firstfruits. So Paul calls him the first fruit. Now Christ is risen from the dead, verse 20, and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. Hallelujah. So Christ is the first fruit. And Paul even identifies that for us and tells us plainly, being the first sheaf that was offered, he's the guarantee of the future harvest of sheaves that will come. His resurrection proves that the harvest cycles will proceed until that final resurrection of all of us, so people will continue to come to Jesus, and more sheaves will be brought in, more people. Hallelujah. So we remember that Jesus is represented here. This is why it's my favorite feast of all, because it, according to the Apostle Paul, it's the basis of our faith. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a living, risen, Lord Jesus Christ who was the first fruits from the dead and guarantees our resurrection to come. Hallelujah, I pray this has been a blessing to you. Father in Jesus name, take this your word, bless it and bring forth the fruit of it. I pray that we will we will recognize the beauty of you in these feasts and we will take those things to heart and God that you will have your way among us in Jesus name. Amen. I pray blessings on every one of you and I look forward to next week when we will look at part two of this Feast of first fruits, and then we'll move on into the other feast as well. But this one is so good and so rich that I had to divide it into a two-part lesson. So you're going to enjoy next week's lesson as well. God bless you in Jesus name. Amen.